Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. A blessed Pentecost season this Monday, August the 8th, as the light of Jesus shines on us from Genesis chapter 50. We come to the end of Genesis and one statement that we've been saying really since we've come into contact with the Joseph story, the account of Joseph, is what comes together today in chapter 50. Everything kind of, uh, it doesn't come together in a nice uh, 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 wrapped package, if you will, but it is something that comes together with the words we've been saying in Genesis 50 verse 20, where Joseph said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good showing us that we don't always understand the journey, the path, the, 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 the reality. And if you look at the story of Joseph, the account of Joseph, the true story, it is something that, okay, we knew that God did this for good, but the path was not predictable. The path was not what he would have chosen, not what we would have chosen. And how can we not also think that of our own lives, which is why we continue to put on our Christ goggles, because when we see Joseph and Jacob and Isaac and Abraham and all of Genesis, we, of course, see Christ. So put on those Christ goggles again. Open up your Bibles for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information. lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's word this morning, we welcome back the Reverend Dr. Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Pastor Boo, happy Pentecost and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Well, thank you very much, President Fenner, and I'm excited to be on. Yeah, <laughs> I'm excited to uh, actually know a district president uh, as a friend, so that's good. Um, ever since the uh, blessed Tim Yaden went on to glory, who I also considered a friend. But uh, I'm so excited for, you know, your new position. And I'm just, uh, I think God definitely knows what he's doing. So congratulations there. Well, as I keep saying, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. So uh, every day learning more. But also for us, uh, this is a special day for us here on Thy Strong Word, because as I was elected uh, to be district president in May, We've kind of looked at a lot of things, my wife and I, our family, a lot of prayer, and we made the decision that, you know what, we need to move forward, I would say, in ministry as we look to, to my, my work at district, as a district president. But Dice Round Work continues to move forward, too, because the Reverend Dr. Phil Boo here is actually going to be your new host starting tomorrow, which is a real joy that uh, Pastor Boo and I have known each other for a long time. He's been a great guest. Actually, you're kind of like the guest of everything here on KFUO for the last few years. And so we're excited that you are going to be the host of Thy Strong Word. So, Pastor, uh, let's do this. Tell us about yourself and, and the joys that you are looking forward to as host of Thy Strong Word. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have had the pleasure to be a guest on a lot of the programs of KFUO. I mean, not all of them. There's so many great programs. But I can remember the very first time I was asked to be on. Uh, actually, the very first time I was asked to do a sermonette, which I've noticed, which was back in 2014, I think. And I've noticed they mm -hmm. still occasionally play it and I yeah, don't do. get any royalties. And they did, they never asked me if I could play it again, but that's okay. Even though, you know, you look back at some of these sermons and you're like, oh man, I don't know if I really want them to keep playing that, but I'm sure the Lord... <laughs> 
I'm sure the Lord continues to use it to his glory. Well, but I will say the first time I was a guest on one of the Bible study programs, I remember sitting in my office in Connecticut and I had my entire desk was covered with papers. I, I didn't, I was afraid that the computer would crash. So I printed off all of my notes. I put them all over the desk and I'm standing up with the phone against my head and I'm trying my best to keep track and keep up. And I'm so worried that the host was going to ask me a question that I didn't know the answer to. That's a, been a few years. And since then I've come to really enjoy it, become a lot more relaxed. I'm perfectly okay with saying, I don't know something uh, but the hosts have been great. I've really enjoyed being on the air with you. And a shout out to mm -hmm. Timothy Apple, of course, over at Sharper Iron. And also Sean Smith at Concord Matters. Uh, those are programs that I've been on more than once and just, just always enjoyed it. So I was delighted and honored when uh, KFUO reached out to me and asked me, if, if the need arose, would you be interested in hosting a show? And I said, oh, I don't know. And I, and I thought about it. And as I'm scrolling through my Facebook page, it looked like the need arose because I saw that you had been elected district president. And so I thought, I bet that's what they're talking about. So I remember writing you and saying, hey, Brady, uh, congratulations on being district president. What are you going to do about your radio show? <laughs> You probably remember that communication. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You probably already knew that they had reached out to me, but I was trying to be slick about it. The truth, the truth is that um, I'm I'm very excited. I love obviously being in the word, and not just because I'm a pastor, but the one thing that I don't know that a lot of parishioners realize is that your pastor is uh, obviously a, a devoted student of the Bible, and he loves teaching you, but. KFU offers the opportunity not only for you as listeners to hear the perspective of other pastors, but it also offers pastors, oftentimes your pastor, the opportunity to share the word with other folks. And so it just really confirms both as a guest and hopefully as a host going forward, just how unified we are in the Lutheran church in our interpretation and application of the Holy Scriptures. And that's what I'm excited to be involved with, is expanding that witness. Also, and you've always done a great job at this too, but I really look forward to taking these texts beyond just sort of an academic study and really mm -hmm. applying them to our daily lives. The with them factor, what's in it for me? And because God's word is living and active, it still speaks to us today. And so, yeah, like today, we're going to talk about a jo a Joseph's death. We're going to talk about his father, Jacob's death. And it's good and interesting to know that information. But what's in it for me? What, how does that affect my faith mm -hmm. life? And I truly believe that every part of the Bible speaks to our lives in some way. So big shoes to fill following you. But I am, I am genuinely very, very excited. Well, once again, Lord have mercy as we look at this. As you hear this from Pastor Boo, it is, uh, uh, as you can tell, he's a true student of the scriptures. Um, and there's that's one of the true joys that we have too for you, our listeners, is that, yeah, there's there's been some hosts that have come through here and there, but we have always been greatly blessed, not only with great hosts, but great guests and great questions that come from our listeners. So keep, keep on keeping on, digging into the scriptures, 
as Pastor Boo is, is, is so committed to our Lutheran theology of, of interpreting the scriptures, keeping Christ at the center. It is It will be a, a, a true handoff of the microphone, even though I can't do it physically because while well, I'm here in Brainerd, you're down in Laverne, although not that far in perspective, we can't hand it off literally today. But in, in spirit, we will hand it off and do so by the grace of our Lord. So, Pastor, as we begin our time today, how about we begin in prayer? Absolutely. Dear Heavenly Father, the eyes of all look to you, O Lord, and you give them what they need at the proper time. What we need as a church, what we need as uh, God's people wherever we are, what we need as a nation, what we need as a world is for you to look upon us with your mercy and kindness, to guide and redirect our ways, and to point us to your son Jesus, whose life, death, and resurrection proclaims for us your victory over sin, death, and Satan. Today, as we explore the death of Jacob and also of Joseph, through their stories and through their witness, keep our eyes focused on Jesus, who was the fulfillment of all that they had longed for. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we begin our time, uh, uh, if you have any questions concerning our text, excuse me, I'm just kind of uh, moving forward here. Uh, questions concerning our text, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. As we come to the end of Genesis here, Pastor, it is something that uh, we don't want to go through, obviously, every chapter. But it is interesting to me that often we think of Genesis, we think of the first three chapters, which we should. I'm, don't don't misquote me as saying that we shouldn't focus on those first three chapters. But the last three are so full of gems, so full of grace and points us, I want to say, to our everyday walk with the Lord. And so we've had a great guest. We've had Pastor Martin Schulteis of Baltimore, Pastor Greg Alms, pretty much Baltimore, also up Maryland. And they brought it really back home, all the gems that are here in these last three chapters. And the last one just keeps going with more and more grace and pointing us, I want to say, to our Christian walk and how we should filter our own Christian walk as the Lord leads us. So, Pastor, we end it. How do we start off on the right foot as we end this blessed book of Genesis? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. We are ending Genesis with not really a summation of everything. It's almost sort of a downer because we have the death of these two great patriarchs. But in their deaths, deaths we see a, a witness from them. In the previous chapter in 49, you know, Jacob, Israel, has gathered his sons to bless them. And he's very close to death. But he uses this opportunity to command them to bury him with his fathers in a cave east of Mamre in Canaan. Now, back in 47, he'd already had Joseph promise not to bury him in Egypt. But this is fascinating because we see here that Israel is looking toward the promised land. And this burial place is special because we learn that Abraham had purchased it while he was there. Abraham and Sarah are buried there. Isaac and Rebekah, one of Jacob's wives, Leah, are buried there. And so not only is this the resting place of Abraham, Isaac, and soon to be Jacob, but it's the land of Canaan. It's the promised land. He's, he's in Egypt looking forward to his people who will be able to visit his grave when they receive the promised land. So 
even in his final plans, his pre-planning, he's he's proclaiming his confidence in God's ability to keep his promises. He wants mm-hmm. to be buried. It's an act of faith that God's going to fulfill that promise. And then the chapter ends with him at 147 years old dying. And that's where we that's where we get him into chapter 50. You know, the first few verses of chapter 50, which you're going to read in a minute. I mean, it's almost like they really should have been part of 49 yeah. um, because it just continues the narrative. But absolutely, that's where we are. Jacob, Israel has died and his last act has been to bless his sons and also to ask to be buried in the promised land. Now, pastor, let's go to, like, like you said before, Jacob's last re- last things that he, the last thing that he did was bless his sons. Let's talk to practical question. Why is that important for us to bless um, our family and to make sure that they know the name of the Lord as we get to the end of our time? You know, I love it that you asked that question. I was just in my Bible study, which I have at 930 on Wednesdays, and a really great group. And one of the things that we discussed was parents' responsibility to raise their children in the faith. And I had sort of made the mistake, perhaps, of saying, you know, that that you know, Sunday school really isn't something that's commanded by the scriptures for us to do as a church. It's a very new invention. Now, that's not to say, lest your ears be perking up at home, that's not to say that it's not a very valuable service of the church. In fact, we do that, though, under the authority of the parents. And that, of course, was my point. Well, you know, you have folks today who the only time their children really have conversations or or interactions with God's will and the faith and the Bible, if that's only at VBS and Sunday school or perhaps even in worship, which is all very valuable, but at home, you're not doing that. You're not talking with them about God's will. Um, Then you wonder why when they grow up, they see faith as sort of this optional thing or faith as something that belonged to their parents, but wasn't worth sharing with them and people step away from it. So there's no doubt, of course, that the sons of Israel were uh, people who were very well acquainted with the will of God and faith. Jacob or Israel is taking his job as patriarch very seriously. The time has come. He's gathered around the bedside, all of his sons, and he doesn't use that as an opportunity to say, oh, remember back when, you know, we took that herd over the hill. He's not using that as an opportunity to talk about some funny story or some embarrassing moment. Not that those things are bad. But he's wanting to make sure that as time is running out, that he blesses his children, that he gives them a focus that is on the faith. And like I said before, he he not only does that in the blessings that he gives them, but he even does that in where he wants to end up because he knows that God's going to keep his promises and he wants his children to put their faith, hope and trust in those promises. And that's the same for us today. You know, we shouldn't be waiting to our deathbeds for sure. But we absolutely, absolutely need to follow in this uh, great patriarch's example. And that's just a reminder. There's many ways to do that. And I would encourage you, our listeners, to talk to your pastor. How can I make sure that my children know of my faith? There is actually a preamble to the last will and testament that will that very clearly um, proclaims that that my hope 
this whole time was not in my life, but my hope was in the life of Christ and the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. That my hope is that although I have now passed on and dead and, and resting with the Lord, that I will rise again. And that's your hope as you still live. I, 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 I sat with a family once who read that preamble and how powerful that was, even though some of the family didn't want to hear it. You know, they didn't really want, they, they weren't interested in what it said, but no one could say that they did not know where dad stood or where mom stood in that whole time. So proclaim the word of the Lord, talk to your pastor and let's get into the word. Are you ready, pastor? Let's go. Let's do it. All right. We will be reading from Genesis, reading Genesis 50 from the English standard version. We hear the word of God. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. Pastor, there's not a ton here, but there is just kind of a, uh, Genesis is very real. It doesn't hide the grief. It doesn't hide death. It doesn't make it sound like it's not that big of a deal. They definitely grieve. There's a process. And even the Egyptians are grieving Jacob, who's not even, you know, an Egyptian. So, Pastor, any thoughts on those first three verses? Oh, well, first of all, I love it for that real um, cathartic just experience that we get to be witnesses to, thanks to Moses. You know, we pick up, Jacob has died, and Joseph is distraught, just like you said, to the point. Now, at this point, we remember that Joseph is still, he's second in command under Pharaoh in Egypt. But, you know, this just really illustrates that despite all of his power, all this earthly authority that he you know, borrows from the Pharaoh, he can do nothing about death. His father has died. He weeps. He kisses him. Probably a man who is accustomed. Of course, we don't know this, but I would suspect he is a man who is accustomed to being poised and in control, always presenting a position of power and authority. And here he is just slobbering over the fact that his father has died. And he still uses that authority. He commands the physicians who are his servants to embalm his father. And the process takes, what, 40 days, which I also think is a testimony to a couple of things. I mean, first of all, they're in Egypt. And the Egyptians were no doubt experts in this kind of stuff. I mean, they had their own rituals, but just their procedures for preserving bodies uh, all the spices they used, that's still talked about today when we think about, you know, uh, things like the pyramids and pharaohs and, and mummies and that sort of thing. The Egyptians were experts in this kind of stuff. And so what I'm, what I'm getting the sense here is that you're absolutely right. This is an Israelite. Well, this is the Israelite, right? But this is Jacob. He's a Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh certainly the son of Joseph and they have great respect for Joseph. And so I don't think it's just because Joseph's like, Hey, I'm in charge. Do these, do these uh, procedures on my dad. I do believe that they're demonstrating this amazing respect that they have for this family. And so they give him the Royal treatment and the whole nation then, as you can see, is called to observe, which is likely because of Joseph's status in the land. But we see that the whole nation's called to observe maybe 30 more days. So 70 days in total, the whole nation basically has the, 
the flags at half staff, the people are wearing the black armbands. You know, this is the kind of stuff we might think of today. But people are taking the time to um, to show us this. And, and Moses is recording all of these details as a testament to Jacob, but it's also a testament to Joseph. Hmm. A testament to Joseph because we know what's going to happen. We know how when Joseph dies and how when Pharaoh dies and new Pharaohs come and time passes, these people are not going to be so honored among the Egyptians. And so we're already seeing the stark contrast of really what God is doing now and, of course, how it's going to go down for them. But I think another important aspect of this is why does Joseph treat his father's body so carefully? Right? We were talking about making our own plans earlier about, you know, what can we do to pass on our faith to our children? How can we bless our children? But at the same time, as children, how do we honor our dead? Why do we do these sorts of things? You know, partly I'm sure is tradition, but we treat our loved ones with such respect, I think at least as part as a testament to the reality that God's not done with that body yet. He's headed to the promised land and Joseph knows this. And so, yeah, he gets the royal treatment, not just because he's the father of this important guy in Egypt, but be, as, a, as a testimony of even Joseph's faith that, yeah, this isn't the end for Jacob. And so as we look at that, it, it, it shows me one reality that we often forget, and I, I've mentioned this many times on our studies, is that you look at how long they grieved, which was 70 days, and we segment our grief in a way that doesn't allow for more than a week. Uh, we tend to see while well, someone dies, well, you get a few days and then you move on. But here, and I'm not, I'm not promoting that the government all of a sudden requires 70 days of crying. Well, I, you know, I don't want to cry that long, but it does leave room for people to grieve, which is a major, major part of really all of scripture. So pastor, why is it important for the Christian as they hear this of grief? Why, why, why is that an important part of who we are, especially in light of what scripture shows us? Well, you know, I mentioned how I believe that this careful preparation of the body had a lot to do with the respect that they had for the body and the fact that, you know, even the Egyptians believed that there was this life after death. And while their beliefs are different, Joseph certainly knows that Jacob has a life beyond this life. Now, with that said, I sort of brought up the question, why do we do it today? And I, I sort of threw it away. I said, well, partly as tradition, I'm sure, and I moved on. Well, just to expand on that, I think one of the reasons why we embalm or funeral services do so much to preserve the look of a body is maybe not for all good reasons. Sometimes I think those reasons are because we as a society want to ignore death or deny death. This isn't the same as the Christian understanding of, well, they're just sleeping. Well, the just sleeping doesn't take anything away from the severity of death. It just points to the idea that, of course, there's a resurrection. But in the secular world, the just sleeping is sort of a, an excuse to say, you know, we don't want to confront this reality that this person has departed, especially if you don't believe in a life after death. So for the Christian, though, 
we certainly have to take time to mourn. I've seen so many people, and I know you have too, as a pastor, where they said, well, I have to be strong for the family. Usually it's like one sister or one brother, you know, one of the kids. And they're like, you know, I'm the one that has to put all this stuff together. I'm the one that has to make all the plans and arrangements. I have to be strong for the family. And while there's probably some appropriateness to that, at some point as your pastor who loves them, you say, yeah, you have to mourn this. And, the, and mourning is different for, for everybody. It may not be 70 days of weeping, you know, maybe it is, you know, just recalling the good times or even better, recalling all of their confessions of faith. But you must tackle that issue because, well, death is the consequences of sin. It's always bad. Always. It's not what God wanted for his creation. Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus, even though he knew that he was getting ready to bring him back from the dead. The same for us. We weep in recognition that this is not ideal. This is not what God wants. But then, of course, that points us to the gospel that says Christ came and he is the answer to death. He is the answer to our weeping. And so while our mourning may, especially in the case of a child uh, or, a, or a spouse, our mourning may never go away. But that mourning turns to righteous joy that recognizes that Christ is in control. He's the answer to death and Satan and sin. Well, Pastor, I want to talk more about that as we move forward in the text. But right now, we need to take our break. We are studying Genesis chapter 50 with Pastor Phil Boo, and we'll be right back. This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia, reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We are studying Genesis chapter 50 with Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Pastor, we have, it's so important for us to be able to allow space, I would say, for grief. And, and the book of Genesis, and I encourage you, our listeners, that if you do read through the book of Genesis, I would look at it with some of those lenses, obviously with the Christ goggles, the, the lenses of seeing Jesus in the text but also because you have times where they very particularly choose where to bury their loved ones. Uh, they're very particular on how the process happens. And it's not by, by um, um, it's not just by random, random, random situation. This is very clearly by the Holy spirit given to us to remind us that it's okay to grieve the grieving that happens in our lives, but we grieve as those with hope as Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that we do not grieve without hope because we know that although we die, we will rise. Although they're no longer with us, they are with Jesus. And therefore, we are always with hope, but it doesn't mean we don't grieve. And that's a very important reality for us every step on our faith journey. 
Pastor, we haven't gone very far, so I'm ready to move on. You ready? Yeah, let's go. All right, verse four. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die in my tomb that I hewed out of myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household, only, excuse me, only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And they went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they and when they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel and Mizraim. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus, his sons did for him as he commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah in the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought in the field of Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. Pastor, what strikes me first is that the grieving happened for 70 days, but the grieving was not done even on their journey. Other thoughts you have on this, on these great verses. Well, first of all, you know, that struck me because we see that they, they spend about seven days, spend about a week continuing to grieve. But the first thing that I have to admit, the first thing that struck me is Joseph goes to, you know, the elders, the family in the house of, of, of Pharaoh and basically says, let my people go. And Pharaoh goes, yeah, all right. <laughs> and this is such in contrast to obviously what we're going to see, uh, see later. So, so Joseph certainly has the favor of Pharaoh. You know, he has a tremendous amount of authority at his disposal. But, you know, it's still interesting because he has to ask permission to leave. He wants to fulfill his dad's wishes, but he has to ask permission. And I think partly he's honoring the king, right? You're the king. You're the guy in charge. I want to leave. I think partly, it, you know, he's looking for some PTO from his duties. He's got a lot of stuff going on. So can I go? And of course, you know, the Pharaoh is going to be favorable to that. But I think, especially if we're considering how this sort of is contrasted with the people of Israel later, he also wants to be transparent about leaving, you know, so they know that he's coming back. I think of Cool Hand Luke when Cool Hand Luke's mom dies and I just can't help it. Cool Hand's Luke mom dies and they say, you know, uh, you know, a man gets a little rabid in him when his mother dies. Of course, he's a prisoner. Mm. And so they put him in the box because they don't want him to run away because his emotions are carried away with him. 
Well, you know, there's probably something like that going on. I mean, Pharaoh could have very easily looked at Joseph and said, what's wrong with Egypt? Egypt is a wonderful, flourishing city in, in, you know, no small part, thanks to you. So, uh, you know, our country, I should say. So we have this great country. Uh, You know, what's wrong with Egypt? Why do you got to go all the way back there? But you know what? Moses doesn't indicate Pharaoh has any issue with it. Like I said, he says, sure, go. In fact, he sends a whole company of people with him. All these folks from the Pharaoh's house, elders and dignitaries of Egypt. You know, and it makes me wonder, you know, is Pharaoh, and I'm still being suspicious of Pharaoh, right? Maybe I shouldn't be, but is Pharaoh sending a little collateral to get Joseph back? You know, you can go, but, you know, we really need you back here. So here, take a, take a, take my whole household with you. But you know what? There's no hint of ulterior motive here. I think I'm being a little unfair to this Pharaoh in light of future Pharaohs. Uh, what we do see, though, is this giant procession of people out of Egypt. All the Egyptians that are going, the rest of Jacob's sons, uh, Joseph's brothers, and then, of course, their sons and their servants. Um, and I think that we see this huge procession, and that's what startles people in Canaan. As you mentioned, you know, they continue to mourn. They get there, and the Bible says, a very great and grievous lamentation. And I think this suggests not only a passion in their mourning, because, I mean, it's been 70 days, but it's a spectacle. It's like a state funeral. You know, you have taps on the bugle, 21 gun salutes. You know, you have all of this spectacle, this pomp and circumstance, which shows honor to Jacob and Joseph, but it also spreads the word. It spreads the word about the importance of who was being remembered. And of course, the Canaanites noticed it. But interestingly enough, they notice it. But what they notice aren't the Jew, the Hebrews. They aren't noticing, you know, Israel's sons. They're noticing all these Egyptians who are suddenly in their land and mourning. And that's where, of course, they named the place after him. But yeah, it's just this, this amazing spectacle. Uh, and we're, what, 70 days and a week into it. And it's still going on. Um, and it just shows. It just shows the honor that they're giving him. And that's why as we look at this, it it shows the importance of us realizing, okay, we need to always do a check, which is I've lost this loved one that on this journey that I need care. And that might mean counseling. That might mean, and I, I would suggest this, that you go to your pastor for prayer, the word, and blessing. And that you you continue to to work with other individuals to, as you move forward, like Pastor said so well. There's no textbook to this. It's not like we all grieve the same way, but here we are able to see this, and at the same time, a very strong trust in the Lord to follow to follow what He has to say. That's why, as we look at the next number of verses, we also realize that okay, they've gone through the proper grieving process. They've gone through the funeral home, they've done the embalming, they've had a proper burial, all of this. And just like a normal funeral, you get all that done, the meal is done, and the family kind of gets together and says, now what? <laughs> now, yeah, well, now what are we going to do at this point? You know, And that's, you know, that's really what happens here. But Pastor, anything else in the first 14 verses? No, just to, just to really emphasize here that now we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their tomb is a testimony of God's promise. They're they're in the promised land, and uh, all that needs left is, of course, all their, their people to join them. 
Well, let's keep moving forward as we hear, because the question then arises, and it naturally arises just by reading the text. Joseph is a man of almost complete power. Basically, what he wants, he gets. What he says happens. And here are the brothers who remember the sins of their past, even though he has been very, um, he's been very gracious with them. They still have that question. Did he really forgive us? Did he, is he really gracious or what's going to happen to us? That just is that other shoe ready to drop. And we hear what happens here in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the, of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear for I am I in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I'll provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Pastor, this is very, very important words that we see play out here. And I think show us Christ as well. Where do you want to begin? Well, <clears throat> you know what drives me crazy? is he's already kind of made this clear. Yes. I yeah. mean, back in chapter 45, he's already said that he doesn't hold their actions against them because God used the situation to put him in a position in Egypt where he could provide for his people, actually his family even in particular. What I think is fascinating is you're right. You know, you have a lot of this high stress that comes with funerals, which we've observed firsthand. And the, we're, we're uh, 70 days in a week in, or maybe even a little longer, of course, at this point. And now the deed is done. You know, there's this finality, you know, dad's not around anymore. And so Joseph's brothers just can't wrap their minds around the fact that Joseph is genuinely faithful to his God. I mean, surely it was that Jacob had commanded Joseph to show favor to his brothers. And now that he was gone, Joseph would show his true colors and finally get his revenge or, or something. You know, I don't know what's going through their head, but it's clear that Joseph's brothers are still carrying around just a ton of guilt. But instead of seeking repentance, could you imagine if they would have sought repentance instead of this more worldly, deceptive solution? And the question then is, are they lying? Are they lying or are they really talking about a command that was secretly given to them? I mean, I suppose that it's possible that Jacob had probably talked with them and said something like, you know, you know, tell Joseph to be nice to you. <laughs> but I think it's much more probable and it's just a natural reading that they are once again simply trying to deceive Joseph. You know, oh, your father gave a, just before he died, he told us. Please forgive the sins of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. I, I mean, yeah, sure he did. And, and now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. So not only are they kind of saying, hey, 
you know, you weren't there, but dad was saying that you should be nice to us. They're also throwing in, but of course, remember we're, we're servants of God too. We're, we're, we're faithful servants of, of, of you and your father's God. It's just, it just seems slimy, doesn't it? It, yes, it does. Uh, and I think about, <laughs> I do think about this, that we, although someone might forgive us, we still feel that guilt and, 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 and it needs to be rehashed. And you definitely see that in this, in this dynamic, because you're kind of like, well, you know, does he really, did he really believe that? Did he really have that? And unfortunately that's kind of our old Adam working that we, we hear it, but we don't really believe it. And we're Thomas's in, in many ways. And we, we go through this whole process and boy, the, the tensions had to be high. I, I, I can't even imagine the tensions because, you know, if we have a family dynamic, it's kind of like, remember that time that you did this as a kid? Yeah, I've always held that against you. Well, I don't think anybody that I know, at least, had a brother that sold them to somebody else and then said to their father that they were dead. You know, well, it's, <laughs> it's just the tensions are high. Well, and it's too easy. Right. And this yeah. is definitely something that connects us to the modern day, because if you tell somebody there is no sin that Christ's sacrifice cannot cover, that God cannot forgive, they're, no, no, that's too easy. Well, St. Paul, he was a persecutor of Christians, and then he became the most prolific writer of the New Testament. Well, yeah, but uh, that's for him, not for me. You know, you, you could point out people all day long, these real people from scriptures that had egregious sins, David and his transgressions against Sheba, Bathsheba and Uriah, and yet he's forgiven. And so you tell that to people today, especially if they're struggling with their sin. And yeah, you're right. They want to take it in their own hands. And, and, and you're right. You're, you're being nice, nicer to the brothers than I am because, you know, I'm looking at the sliminess, but you're 100% right. As we apply this to our own lives, as we apply it to our own lives, we often think it, it's just too easy that Christ forgives me. So, you know, maybe if I work extra hard or, you know, I'm, I, I don't deserve forgiveness, so I'm going to just make sure I'm always at church early or I'm going to give to the poor, or help the hungry. We think that it has to be Jesus plus, you know, as if anything mm. we could do could make up for it. So they go to him and they're just like, you know, we really want you to forgive us. He already has. But they just can't believe it. They can't cling to it. So they're like, well, your dad even said, forgive us. And, you know, if I were Joseph, I would be like, dudes, I already forgave you. But he doesn't. In fact, what I think is interesting is, as you read, he weeps. He cries. You know, he, he, he they come to him. And as as they're speaking to him, he he wept. Now, is he weeping because he's sad? You know, like. These guys just don't get it. I've already forgiven them. I've tr I trusted in God. Look what God has done. Yes, it was a horrible situation, but look what God has done. I don't know, maybe a little. Um, sadness that they would still think they needed to trick him in order for him to care for them, especially after everything that he's done. Or, you know, maybe there's also some joy that, you know, maybe even some ironic joy. He's crying just thinking, you know, oh my goodness, this is what God has put me in this position to do. And here you are. He's like, you're basically, of course I forgive you. You know, he says to them, don't, do not be afraid. I right? stop fearing just like the angels say, because mm -hmm. am I God? 
as for you, you meant evil. And he, he doesn't let him off the hook, right? He definitely calls the sin a sin, but God used it for good. And look at all the good that God has been able to do out of something that, yeah, you made a mistake, but God took that mistake. He's forgiven you. I forgive you. And not only that, but wow, look at all the amazing things that have been done because of the circumstances. And, you know, I don't think Joseph would want to go back and be sold into slavery. Who knows what happened while he was in captivity. But at the same time, God can bring great things out of evil. And that absolutely points us to Jesus. You know, why is it that our Lord should die and we should live? And yet that's what God has used to bring us forgiveness. Even when we don't always think that, that it's, uh, even when we think it's a little too easy and maybe it is, you know, but it's not easy. It's not easy for Christ. You know, that was a real suffering that was undertaken on our behalf. And so instead of thinking it's too easy for us to just accept that forgiveness, then meditate on the great sacrifice that it was, and then just thank God that we are forgiven because of Jesus. And we hear, like you said, Joseph, I, I want to highlight this now. He says, do not fear. And then later on, verse 21, so do not fear. I right away with my Christ goggles on, it, you know, it points me to the resurrection of Jesus, the night that the disciples are for fear of the Jews. They had heard the promise that this Savior would rise. They knew what would happen, but yet they need a reminder. And what is Jesus' first words? Do not fear. So Joseph, in my mind, as we read this, points us once again to a type of Christ that points us to the ultimate hope that we have where when Jesus says, do not fear, well, he's done all the work. <laughs> There's no more work to be done. He has done all the work. That's why they do not have to fear. And pastor, that's where I see that Christ connection that we're able to see throughout Joseph, but specifically in those words. Other thoughts you have? Well, just to piggyback on what you're saying, that's wonderful. You're absolutely right. And, you know, they're not just concerned for themselves. Maybe, you know, that they have children. You know, there's this idea of, well, I deserve this, but my children don't deserve the punishment mm. for what we did. And that's part of that do not fear that Joseph is giving them, right? Do not fear. And he, he speaks to their deeper concerns, just as Christ often does. I will provide for you and your little ones. And in this way or thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. The comfort that he gave them was that they had no reason to be afraid anymore, that they would be provided for, and that their children would not suffer because of their sins. And so we look to that. We look to what Christ has given us, not only forgiveness for our sins, but then a amazing solution to the sins of our children and our children's children through baptism, which gives them faith and washes away their sin. And of course, the sacrament, which confirms that faith each time we partake. And so, yeah, absolutely. Christ also comforts us, speaks kindly to us because of what he has done. And he provides for us and our little ones. So, Pastor, he says these words, do not fear for am I in the place of God. And then he says these great faith words that I have felt. And, and many of our guests have said this, that what you meant for evil, what you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Those are powerful faith statements 
as we look at our own lives, but I think also could be severely misinterpreted. How would you, how would you, how would you teach that for us as, as that, people might fall on both sides of the horse on that one? What are your thoughts? Well, I do think one of the dangers is looking at everything that's evil that happens and then sort of certifying as it okay, as okay. Just saying, well, you know, of course, bad things happen, but you know, God will use it for good as if there's no room for us to fight against evil or injustice in this world. It basically puts God to the test where either we endure evil uh, or don't defend others or even, God forbid, commit evil against others with this idea that, you know, the ends justify the means. God will work it out. Um, Mm -hmm. There's that part. On the other hand, I do think that the meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, at least to my mind, recalls this idea where when the world looks at the sacrifice of Christ— they see that as a great evil. I don't, I can't believe in a God who would sacrifice his own son. That is something that the world looks at and sees evil, but God uses for good. And I think that that's something that we have to, we have to look at also. In our contemporary day and age, there are things that people do because of they're afraid because they are worried about the future, that would be evil in God's sight. And then they justify it by saying that it'll be, in the long run, a good thing. Um, Now, I don't necessarily obviously want to dwell here too much, but I can't help but think about the, um, the sin of abortion. The idea that people will commit this great evil um, because of out of fear instead of trusting in God but then they say, but it's a good thing because the, the baby's with God or, well, it would have been born to uh, unfortunate circumstances or I wasn't ready for it. And so they're better off. Um, that's just one very small example of what goes on a lot in, in human life where we allow evil to go on and just with the idea that God will all end up sorting it out. So it's no big deal. And this is why it's so important for us to remember words like Romans 8.28, where it talks about how God is working good for those, for those who love him. That we don't, it, it doesn't give us a exact, okay, this is how he's going to work good. We might be able to look back in the past and to be able to say, you know what, God did work through that. And sometimes we just have to stop where we stop, where we say, okay, that we know God's going to work good through this or God is working through this. And then we stop. You, you don't want to try to predict what God's going to do. You don't try to, to look too deeply into, okay, this is what God did without being able to have thus says the Lord to it. But we can reflect on it in, in light of Christ, because if you say that God can't work good out of evil things, well, then we have a problem with the, the cross. And the cross is the number one issue right there as Christian people. But we do have to make sure that we speak where we speak, like Pastor said so well, that we're silent where we're silent and always with the cross in mind. Pastor, we have about five minutes left in our time this morning. So anything else before we move on to the end of our chapter? Oh, let's finish it up with uh, the death of Joseph. Verse 22. So Joseph remained in Egypt. He and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. And the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. 
but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land and the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Not a real exciting end to the book of Genesis, but an important one. Your thoughts? Well, I think it's important because just like the death of his father, which he made them promise that they would carry his bones to the tomb in the promised land, um, he Joseph leaves this world with the same proclamation of his faith that God is going to keep his promises. You know, he says, I'm about to die, but God will visit you, will bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then after... Uh, that he then had them swear that, you know, they'll eventually, eventually carry his bones from there. But he dies at 110, but he stays his he stays in Egypt until until such time that that's fulfilled. But his the end of his life is in the service of the same that his his father did. And that is pointing to the fact that God absolutely will keep his promises that one day they will uh, join their ancestors in the land that they're promised. And so, you know, we see that. We now look forward at our death and we look to promises too. And that's the promises that we sort of began this study with, with what do we tell our children? How do we bless our children? And part of that blessing is just what we've seen, that God is a God who keeps his promises. In our case, the promised land isn't, you know, by Mom Ray and uh, by the, the the tomb from the... Uh, from the, uh, the, the Abraham bought, but rather the promised land is to live forever with Christ in the new heavens and new earth. And that's a promise that God's going to keep so that we have our children promise that they'll continue to teach their children and their children's children the, the same hope, the same faith that has carried us through our lives and into our deaths so that you know, we don't have to be afraid. Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota, giving us God's strong word from Genesis chapter 50, and we'll be giving you God's strong word again tomorrow. Pastor Boo, thank you for bringing us his gifts. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your very last uh, guest on the show. I look forward to seeing everyone tomorrow. As, they, as Jesus says, the last shall be first. <laughs> for you, our listeners, it has been a great joy. A great joy to be with you in God's Word every day. A great joy to join other faithful pastors in the study of God's Word. And it will be a great joy because I will continue on in KFU all in a different capacity, a, a, a less capacity, but still in a capacity to be in God's Word, to proclaim the truth that we have in Christ for you anytime, anywhere. More on that still yet to come. But you are always in my prayers. And I pray that you continue to pray for me, our beloved Synod, our beloved district, the Minnesota North District, and of course, that we do everything to keep our eyes centered on Christ. So thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.